Hey guys, welcome to Amazeway. Come on in and uh, grab a seat if there you want to grab some. There's some good fruit back there and some cookies. Um, I've tested them. They, they are not poisonous. And uh, then there's uh, some coffee brewing and uh, some water over there and some other stuff. So We're uh, at the end of our Easter uh, season here. This is uh, Easter 6. We're going to have another conversation or two about love, which we've been doing from 1 John. Some post-amendment conversation regarding uh, how to care for folks. and uh... So in this practical love vein, we thought we'd do a song y'all have done many times. So sing with us, Mission of My Soul. When you need me, I'll stand beside you, there for you, whenever you go. When you're hungry, I'll satisfy you. Submission, mission of my soul, yeah, 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 yeah. confession I'm there to listen when you're crossing the ocean I've got a boat to roll need attention your audience won't be missing that's a mission mission of my soul yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the mission of my soul. When you're sleepy, I'll make your bed now. You're unsure, I'm gonna let you know. I'll say, baby, don't trouble your head now. That's the mission, mission of my soul, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the mission of my soul. You know we're gonna work it out now, baby. The mission of my soul. Making plans, need a partner, maybe I'm your man, just tell me when do we go, you'll be my flower, I'll be your gardener, that's the mission, mission of my soul, yeah, it's the mission of my soul, yeah. And always remember that now, baby The mission of my soul I'm Gonna take care of you now The mission of my soul The mission of my soul Yeah 
Hey folks, welcome to Emmaus Way. Uh, this is the sixth Sunday of Easter. And to start off with, Wade, I know last night uh, y'all had a concert over at uh, yeah, Parker Friday. and Otis. Or Friday, yeah, Friday, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, and heard it went very well. You want to say a word about it and kind of... Well, it's a neat venue. I'm hoping they'll have us back. Uh, we had great weather, which is really nice. But it's a, it's a pretty cool spot to just uh, invite people to come by. And we did uh, we did this song and a bunch of other Emmaus Way stuff as well, some other original tunes and um so yeah it was fun i'm hoping we can get more of us uh, up there and um yeah so we'll see how it goes throughout the summer i'm not sure how intense their booking schedule is but we'll let you know if we do it again great yeah definitely do um hopefully some of you uh, made it out i know it's a busy weekend for a lot of you uh, congratulations to those of you that have graduated uh, those of you that walked or didn't walk or whatever you did um, and also uh, welcome, and I obviously rec recognize that it is Mother's Day today, so make sure you call your mom if you haven't, all right? Um, so uh, we at Emmaus Way are a group of people who gather around uh, the text to listen to uh, the gospel of Christ, which has captured our lives, which in some ways um, compels us to be a part of the things that God is doing in the world, the stories of redemption, the stories of God making peace where uh, people were in competition and war, where God is healing uh, this world and people uh, in this world and uh, healing his creation. Um, we are people who have been captivated by that and are seeking to find how we might participate in that story and to see where it's going on both in this location in Durham, um, but also in the larger world as well. So uh, if you're new with us, I want to welcome you tonight. Um, if you'd like to find out a way to get connected with uh, the church a little bit more, there are some yellow cards out in the foyer here. And if you want to just fill one out, if you'd like to meet with one of the ministers, you can meet with uh, me. Um, I'm Dan, and you can meet with Tim. Uh, Amy is back. Uh, her and Travis are back with the kids tonight. You can meet with her, or Wade would be happy to meet with you, I'm sure. Um, if you want to grab coffee and find out more. If you're also interested in maybe connecting uh, with a small group in the community, we have groups, uh, missional life groups that meet throughout the week. Um, you can shoot an email off to Elizabeth Eford. It's on the back of your liturgy sheet tonight, her email address is. And there, she just walked in, yeah. Um, and she can connect you with some of the smaller groups that are in our church. If you, uh, We have a number of groups that meet throughout the week. and. Uh, one of the ways that we continue to foster relationships in our community and do some of the missional work at, that actually our church uh, is involved in. Um, I have a few announcements for us tonight. One is that next week uh, we will have an Ecclesia meeting, so we'll have a little bit of a shorter gathering uh, for uh, uh, our regular gathering, weekly gathering, and then we'll have an Ecclesia meeting uh, right after church, which is, for those of you that might not be familiar with that, um, that is the time when we kind of gather as a community to try and do the business of the church. Um, we try to hear updates on what's going on throughout some of our missional partnerships, but also uh, kind of things that our children are doing, things that we need to talk about, balancing budgets, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and the way that we typically do that, and I think I'm right about this, Dave, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that we'll kind of, in the service, get a show of hands, We're, we'll order pizza according to how many people we think are going to be there, and we invite everybody to stick around, um, and then we'll have pizza real quick after the service, and then we'll jump into the meeting, and we're usually done by 7.30 uh, at the latest. Um, so I think this, will this be your first uh, time leading us, Dave? I think so. Nice. Oh, nice. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good sign. Well, good. I feel like there's one more announcement I'm forgetting. Any, can anybody think of something? Okay. Oh, the Jake's house coming up. Yes, Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day after service. Uh, well, not Memorial Day, but the Sunday of Memorial weekend. We will head over to the Jake's. It's kind of a great uh, ritual gathering thing that we do in this community. Their, their uh, house is, what, seven blocks away, uh, right down the street here, and we'll gather and hang out on their front porch. It's a potluck, so you'll be uh, invited to bring something along with you, and we'll eat and chat and hang out. It's a great time to kind of start the summer off. Um, so please feel invited uh, to come, um, and there will be, I'm sure, on the website a sign-up sheet for the potluck as well, so look, look to that. Let me pray uh, to get us kind of going tonight, and then uh, Tim will come up. Lord, thank you for a chance to gather, for a chance to listen to one another, and to discover with one another what it is you're saying in our midst and what you're saying to us as a people. Uh, God, we ask that you would continue to put your spirit upon us, and that you would lead us forward, both in understanding, but mainly in love. Guide us tonight as we uh, gather and put your hand upon us. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Hey, it's good to see everybody this, uh, this weekend. I'm kind of in the, uh, I was telling a bunch of people, this has been, the, when you're a parent of a high schooler, this is like the crazed weeks of in AP exams, prom last night, all these things, so I feel like I've slept like eight times more than anybody else in my family, and I'm feeling great about that. But uh, anyway, I want to give you a moment to stand up, uh, greet the people that are around you, offer them the peace of Christ. Um, if you're around somebody that you don't happen to know, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, and we'll uh, reconvene this little deal in about two minutes, so go for that. Hey, everybody. Uh, feel free to keep getting settled with snacks and stuff. But I want to do a quick, and we'll have to do it quick tonight because Travis is in charge of the kids. We just left them all alone. They looked fine. I mean, they were kind of heading toward the street. They watch each other. Yeah, they watch each other. He said, just don't cross the street. You can play right on the edge if you'd like. Uh, but actually not if you're a parent. That's not what's happening in the back. But um, Travis uh, Green is, um, has finished his second year of Divinity School at Duke. And... Um, and we have a great situation for the summer. He is uh, joining our staff for the summer. Um, in, in his mindset... <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to have a little bit of a vote on this. Uh, if you have something negative to share about Travis, if you'd raise your hand now, we'll start there. And if we have time for positives, we'll, we'll get there too. Um, but Travis very graciously is doing his field ed with us. But as was the case with Amy, when we've got somebody who's part of the community, we're, he's not interning. We get Travis on staff for three months, so we're ecstatic about that. So Travis, why don't you take a second uh, before the kids cross the road and, uh, and just uh, tell us what's, what's 
what's up for the summer? What are you hoping to do? What are your what's what's uh, typically what we do with folks in this role is really look at their gift set and ask how can they shape and change and challenge our community. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it and thankful for the opportunity. Um, I'm looking forward to, I think it's a good time to be able to focus on some um, maybe special projects that because that, of the week-to-week -week stuff our ordinary staff don't get to do. Um, so like last year, Amy put together a website during that time period, and now I'm, I'm hoping to do some things. Um, I want to uh, strengthen some of our commitment and involvement with prison stuff because that's something that I personally care about, and I know Denise is really involved in, so hopefully we'll get to... Um, Maybe bring that a little more into the community's attention. Um, obviously, there'll be some dialogues that hopefully I'll get to the chance to lead, um, and some some maybe farther down the road things as far as our uh, visibility in the community and our uh, sustainability, and and some technology stuff as well. So, and I'm also open to other suggestions for for some things I could do. And um, I actually didn't talk to Tim about this before, but that part of our, our field education thing is. Uh, Having some lay people, some some people in the community involved as well in in terms of feedback for me and and um, ways I can improve and just some things like that. So um, I might grab some people at some point about that. So just a heads up. Hey, Travis, can I mention something? Yeah. So um, I got to go with Travis a couple of weeks ago out where he was working um, at one of the prisons in Butner, and it's a juvenile detention center, so it's for younger uh, folks. But um, you worked with a couple guys from Duke, and y'all were there nearly every week, right? Yeah, every week. For I was there for like a year. And can you just mention a little bit about that? Sometimes the whole thing of like going into prison, we all have the movie picture of, you know, mm -hmm. maximum security and mm -hmm. going into a rat hole and kind of wondering if you'll come out alive. And yeah. Then, um, this is sort of, uh, I mean, it's prison for sure, but it's also a little different than that picture. Yeah, so this is, like you say, it's a juvenile facility, so it's, it's lower security. Um, it's not as... It's certainly secure and, and in many ways a prison, uh, but it's also, because it's the juvenile system, it's not set up to be quite as punitive, and it's at least theoretically more rehabilitative. Uh, so it's, it's I, sometimes I go, I feel like it's a kind of a really crappy community college with high security. It's just kind of that feel of like a campus that, um, it feels like that, yeah. Yeah, so it's, but it's, it's a, it's, the kids are, are great, and, and um, hopefully we'll be able to do stuff out there. And so you were doing kind of a small group with, uh, yeah. sort of, I don't know if I'm whatever the, uh, yeah, the one of the units, group. yeah. And then, um, you, you, the guys you worked with were doing things like a choir. Yeah, we had a choir, um, which the kids got, I mean, if you can get them involved in something, they'll, uh, they just, it's so boring there. They just don't have anything to do. So, um, yeah, getting them involved in things is, is so important. And, uh, and it was really interesting going out there because it's one of five prisons? There's, there's a, it's, it's, yeah, there's a me mental institution, there's a federal prison that's really like five prisons kind of crammed together. There's, this is a juvenile place. There's a place for, there's a state prison for uh, men 18 to 21, which is like, miserable place and I mean that's just a it's a bad age to be um so yeah there's a lot a lot of need out there and it's like a half hour away and so hopefully we'll be able to plug in out there some more yeah well thank you Travis we are excited to have Travis with us and uh, we'll do that kind of open evaluation after he gets in the back <laughs> Yeah. Hey, uh, Dave Teeson, you were going to give us a Durham can update. Can you fire us out on that? Uh, yeah, so we had our uh, kind of quarterly meeting, delegates, uh, or the assembly last, uh, I guess, a couple weeks ago. 
Um, I kind of focused on two issues. You know, they had all the different politicians up for election, county commissioners, and that sort of thing there, and they were kind of uh, pushing two things. One, um, education, focusing on Latino issues in the uh, public schools in Durham. So it was, you know, a couple different things, getting the county commissioners to commit to help them uh, hiring a new, um, another translator, um, getting forms uh, put into Spanish, um, as well as kind of meeting with Durham Kid over a, a county or a, a kind of a strengths, weaknesses, opportunity kind of analysis that they had done to the uh, program. And then the other issue that uh, Durham Kid was really focusing on this last meeting was uh, transportation, looking at the transit issues. So if you guys remember last November, we passed a small sales tax to go forth with uh, putting in light rail. So it was asking the county commissioners or you know those up county commissioners too commit to, um, you know, making sure there's affordable housing around the transit centers, you know, as well as at the jobs to go to that are for people who are you know, local North Carolina. Um, so just those two main issues, and it was good. There was probably three to 350 people at, at First Presbyterian, and it was, uh, it was a good turnout. Thank you, Dave. That was, uh, and I think everybody knows what Durham Can is in, in this crowd, but I'll say it one more time. This is a, a grassroots uh, political organizing community that focuses, it's nonpartisan, it focuses on the local community and has a whole range of trajectories from education to government to spending the, uh, the whole nine yards. And it's one of our primary partnerships along with Reality Ministries and Antioch Builds Community and uh, Africa Rising. So those are communities uh, that you hear a lot about uh, in our worship gatherings. So anyway, uh, thanks for the work that went into that. So we have, uh, jumping into First John, uh, um, Sarah's going to read a text for us in just a moment or two, but um, we have been talking about the notion of witness. First uh, John is is um, is oriented around the idea of witness and proclamation. How does... Um, the, the people of God proclaim themselves as the people of God. And I mean, just give me a quick little uh, shout back on that. What are some of the things that, that over the last several weeks, First John has emphasized, if you can remember any of them, that, that are kind of the essence of our witness as a people? Being peculiar, being different. There's supposed to be a, 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 a distinct difference by people that are willingly being shaped by God's Spirit. Yeah, in fact, a couple weeks ago we did, a, which was fantastic, we did a, a storytelling on the idea of things that were beautifully peculiar, things that were done uh, as, as acts of love. Any other kind of summary statements? Love in general, yeah, that our witness is to be uh, shaped around the idea of embodied love. And so if you read First John, you're going to get that again and again and again. You're going to see it in the text tonight. Now, in one sense, and I don't know about you, but in one sense, uh, love is always easier when it's abstract. You know, I mean, you know, yeah, it's easy to say I love you. You know, like, and and, and a lot, of, and there, I can tell you, and I won't tonight, but I can tell you many, many embarrassing marital moments where I might have said to to Mimi, oh, "I love you," and and she had a very specific expression of that. And like one point, like maybe we'd been married a week, and I, I just said, "I." Gosh, I'm so thankful that you're cooking tonight. And and is there any way I can help? You know, and I meant that as a rhetorical question. You, you offer to help, and 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 it's off the list, right? 
And she knew that. I don't know how she had this magical power to look into my brain and sense that this was indeed some sort of rhetorical question. So she very devilishly, I might add, reached into the fridge and pulled out like the largest block of hard Parmesan cheese that you could ever imagine. And she said, why don't you just shred that for me? I mean, you know, 90 minutes later, I'm still shredding Parmesan cheese. I mean, it serves me right for asking a rhetorical question like that. But, but what Matt is saying, and all of us know this, is that love in itself is far easier to talk about. It's easier to talk about being people of love. Sometimes Christians do this. They talk about themselves being people of mission. And it's far easy to, easier to do that in a way of using it as a banner. But when it has to be put in flesh, when it has to be acted out, then it gets a little more complicated. So here we are. We've been talking about dreaming about mission, talking about things that are beautifully peculiar. And I kind of woke up on, on Wednesday after the election, and, and many people were involved in this in one way or the other. And I realized, you know, this is a very divisive issue. This is an issue that is, is very, very difficult to imagine um, being a loving people around. And let me put it this way, because one of the hard parts of 1 John is that John is, is in some ways sectarian. And what I mean by that is that his primary focus is looking at within the body that he calls the church and talking about love and, and deep acceptance of people who are are Christians, people who are following Jesus. Now, in that era, that's fairly complicated because we're talking about continents, different towns, different languages. Um, and so here, here's my experience this week on this is uh, literally, you know, given the, the map that if you looked at, my, my son had it posted on his Facebook page of the counties that voted to, to uh, reject the amendment versus affirm the amendment. I think it ended up being 93 to 7. So we were in the seven in this community. So it was, you, you get the sense sometimes. And, and I think there were several like Facebook postings of like every college in North Carolina with a sign pointed to it and to a county. Um, so as a, as a people here, um, meaning Durham, we were very much in a minority on that. Uh, I was talking to a friend in Seattle about this. And I said, you know, if you drove from Susan's house to the church, you would assume that this thing was going to be like 99 to 1, uh, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're just coming down from, from Trinity Park, um, we live in a community that was, was different. But... Um, Yesterday, I was driving. Keenan had a state cup soccer tournament over in Lake Norman. And for some reason, I thought it was quicker to do like the cut from Lake Norman, like instead of going up 77, to cut across country to I 85 through China Grove and Landis and all of those things. Now, if you drove 150 and 152, you might imagine that the vote would have been 99 to 1 in the other way. In fact, almost every small church we passed had on its little marquee, uh, several of them, like one after another, one man, one woman, one man, one woman. You know, one of them just put yay <laughs> going across there. And it's like, you know, so the brethren and the sistren of Landis and the brethren and the sistren of Durham might have difficulty talking about this. And I'm not assuming, as we, as we jump into this today, I'm not assuming a, a, um, a common perspective in our community that by no means don't take my, my sarcasm in that way. But 
this week I've been thinking all week long that this is an issue that is not only painful in the community of people who read the Bible, people who want to follow God, but certainly divisive in, in our culture. And this is more than, we're talking about more than just sexual orientation. We're talking about a whole range of how we arrange our lives and arrange ourselves, but a painful one. I was at happy hour um, on Friday night with a um, a woman in my cohort who identifies herself as a lesbian, and her first reaction was, uh, my partner and I, we are moving. The minute, I, you know, I, I jokingly had said, because people were talking about jobs, and, and I just said, Summer, I, I really hope that North Carolina is going to be where you end up. And she said, Tim, I can't even think about it right now. I mean, the first thing Susan and I have talked about is when we finish this program, we're moving. You know, and I thought, oh, yeah, I forget that for you, this is, I mean, you're not thinking about anything else but the last three or four days politically. I've, I've in some ways, moved on, so to speak. Um, so this is a challenging issue. And one of the things that I wanted to do was, and, and you may hear me talk a little bit more tonight than sometimes I do, but I wanted to do a bit of an Emmaus Way 101. Uh, for those of you who are long-term veterans of our community, some of this might be things you've heard again and again, but quite honestly, these are things that I've been committed for us to say to each other often about, about life together and what does it mean to be a group of people that love each other in the midst of, 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 of differences in our community. And I want to continue this. I've kind of taken the pressure off myself tonight. We're going to kind of continue this next week. So no pressure to kind of finish this. But what I'd like to do is to talk about the idea, the thing that we do almost every week, ironically, maybe less so tonight, uh, but this whole idea of dialogue and to frame that in terms of a, um, a, a biblical and spiritual conversation. Now, for example, somebody help me with this part, is uh, 1 John, just reading 1 John, and if that's all you had in your Bible, and you, when you read First John again and again, how do you think that would frame dialogue? How would how would people kind of within the church talk to each other based on if all you had was First John? What do you think it would look like? What would you talk about, and how would you talk? Well, I think I've been struck by it. It seems like there's some tension in First John between... It seems like the way that you would talk would be a way that was marked by love. I mean, love has been sort of the central theme of First John. And so um, you, would, you would want to talk in such a way that you're showing respect and love for others within the community. But it also seems like First John is very interested in drawing in insider-outsider lines um, so that... Uh, ironically, if you were talking without love, then I think First John says that you're a liar, <laughs> and uh, you make a liar out of God. So, um, so it seems as if you would talk to each other in love, but that the conversations might have to do with who is within the community and who isn't. Yeah, that's what we talked about that several weeks ago. One of the challenging things of First John is it has very much a kind of a binary approach: with love, without love, telling the truth, lying inside the community, outside the community. And in very many ways, it's a pretty powerful challenge to community life. I grew up in a rural Baptist church, and I remember when my dad was chairman of the Board of Deacons. Jim Thomas, you've had similar roles like this and probably would have the same advice my dad would be. is like, 
never do this ever again. But just very simply, the church decided to publish its records of you know, you know things that churches do for a hundred years: marriages, burials, who was married to who, that sort of thing. But in the official records, there were also excommunications, <laughs> and so these you know, and they just really didn't pay attention that they were in there. So it would have said you know like. Julie DeCanto cast from the body for making a frothy spirit to serve it. Or, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, there were people who moonshined and things like that. I had a grandfather who got the boot, you know, right around 1910 for that. And so these little hardbound books, somebody paid to have these books hardbound, like the history of our church, ironically named Mount Harmony. And, and those, those books were out for all, all of about three or four hours. And I remember my dad leaving and I was like, dad, what are you doing? He said, we're, we're going out to collect the books. You know, they literally, it's a farming community, just went out door to door and collected the books. Now, I don't think they got probably more than half of them back. But you know, it was just this classic reminder that there are long divisions. There are things we don't want to remember. There are ill-fated family decisions that are a part of that. And First John kind of challenges us to say, somehow we get around and through and, and all over those things. A little more framing. One of the things that, uh, if you've been around me for a long time, one of the things you realize that for me, when, when asked to say, what is spiritual formation? What is discipleship? What is following God? For me, my answer, the way I tend to kind of package that, is the idea of, of hospitality. Uh, and in fact, Emmaus Way was really named for the concept of a radical hospitality. And one of the things I've been struck by in reading the scriptures is that so many things, particularly re- revelation and understanding and growth happens on the far side of an act of hospitality. So if you were kind of drifting through your Bible in Genesis and other places like that, one of the things you might find is that often, like a good example is when Abraham entertained kind of the, the visitors at the Oaks of, I think this is like Genesis 18, the Oaks of Mamre or whatever, however you pronounce those. That was when the covenant of God was revealed to him. We did this last year. We looked at Rahab the harlot uh, in terms of the, the book of Joshua. And, and the opportunity by entertaining God's people, there was a recognition of who God was and what God was doing. Very common motif. The story that shaped this community was the Emmaus Road story where Jesus is walking on, on the Sunday of Easter with his disciples and he actually basically teaches the whole New Testament to them and the disciples don't understand what he's saying. They don't recognize him as the teacher but when he breaks bread with them that evening, they've invited him in as would have been an appropriate custom for the evening at the end of the day's walk. They recognize him at the table. And for us, that was a defining story that God is seen and known uh, uh, in, in acts of hospitality. Um, the way that we frame the table every week and, and connect the table to dialogue for us is, um, you may not think of it in these terms, but we do, is that we are practicing a form of hospitality every week, realizing that when you go to the table and you're serving each other and saying the body of Christ, the blood of Christ to each other, we're opening ourselves up to hear from each other, to hear God's words, to be challenged. And of course, we do that in the, in the, in the dialogue uh, every week. And so one of the things, and I don't mean this to be a promo, but um, 
we've written a good deal about this. Uh, if you're new to this community, I wrote a book about six or seven years ago called The Church in Transition, and Dan and I wrote a book called Free for All three years ago, I guess, um, that is really about Emmaus Way and how we speak to each other and, and this idea of what does it mean to interpret the Bible as a community of people rather than maybe what happens in a lot of church settings where the person who's sitting right here presents themselves as an authority and tells you kind of how to do it and then you might work it out on your own. But for us, one of the things that this community has been marked by is this idea that hospitality is... Uh, the way that we understand what spiritual formation is all about. Um, one of the books that was probably the most, maybe the most life-changing book for me, was an old book, it's about 40 years old now, by Henry Nouwen, called Reaching Out. And it, in that book, maybe frames hospitality in one of the most compelling terms that I've ever read, is according to Nouwen, when you're thinking about this biblical practice of hospitality, think of two decisive things. One is receptivity. And he talks about a radical receiving of people. Even jokes at some point that in America, hospitality is often a bludgeoning with good wine and good books. And you, know, you go over to you know, Chad's house and for three or four hours, he tells you what you don't own or what you don't know. I mean, that's kind of how we do hospitality in our culture. But now one is saying it's just the opposite. It's really receiving people on their own terms. And then the flip side of that is also a radical honesty. He makes the point that you don't receive somebody into your home and then ignore them. You have to be a real presence in your home to truly receive someone. And I won't parse it out for you, but if you look at the Christian community, one of the greatest weaknesses, no matter what angle you're coming at, Catholic, Protestant, liberal, conservative, Pentecostal, um, high church, is you have some communities that really, really believe in the receptivity of things but are not so big on the honesty of things. And you have some communities that really major on honesty, but not receptivity. Now I would go on to say that you really can't be honest unless you're receiving. Let's say that we never received anyone who had, I look around our room, I think we're maybe all white in this room. So let's say that we never received someone from another ethnicity. Um, we might feel like we're being honest <laughs> But in reality, we haven't been exposed to a whole range of honesties that if we were more diverse, we would hear. But that's Nowen's challenge. Is if we're going to kind of to follow my summary, if, if hospitality is this significant act of spiritual formation, then it involves a couple of practices, receptivity and honesty. Um, I like to further break it down to say that when you're practicing hospitality, and this comes from someone, I grew up in a mindset that the preacher, the teacher, um, that person had real spiritual gifts. Leaders were pretty close. Musicians, I'm sorry, Wade, were pretty far down on the list. Uh, hospitality was for people who couldn't do something important. And you were really thankful for the food. You were really thankful. I mean, like, like God, man, those brownies are unbelievable. Uh, I'm really thankful that whoever brought them doesn't have any spiritual gifts because I like having the brownies. Um, I mean, that was my mindset on this. So what I'm saying was a, a pretty intense paradigm shift to realize that receiving is actually what it looks like to be God's people. But to further break that down, um, the, the language I've used is, you could think about hospitality, one, is an act of divine hospitality. 
Because one thing that you learn in spiritual discipline is that we don't manipulate God. And God doesn't control our lives like automatons. We don't wake up like little marionettes and do exactly what God wants us to do. But a lot of spiritual life is inviting God into a space where we can be changed. And if you want to read the, like Rahab, and there's so many amazing stories um, in the scriptures where people invite in the presence of God and they are utterly changed by that presence. Or they reject the presence of God. Mark has this great example of the rich young ruler who can't abide Jesus' presence and a blind man named Bartimaeus who does abide Jesus' presence and they are radically changed by this. And Jesus was kind of a funny guy when it came to this sort of thing. Sometimes he might have said, you know, uh, Jesse, <laughs> you're going to be hospitable. I'm coming to your house for dinner and I'm bringing all my friends on this side of the room. Hurry up. Yeah, but J Jesus was so aware that inviting the presence of God in was being open to change. So there's this divine sense of hospitality. There's another kind of hospitality that I think we often connect with it, and that's relational hospitality. The idea that, that relational hospitality is kindness. It is truly receiving people and responding kindly to what their needs are. Another form of hospitality is, is cultural hospitality. It's being open to different stories, different ethnicities, different perspectives. Um, a lot of times in Christian communities, we may be so committed to forming our own culture that uh, we're not very open to other cultures of people who are struggling to follow God. Any of you guys who have traveled overseas, maybe on a mission trip when you were in youth group or in college, or have just literally been out of your normal places, you've known how challenging that is. That literally people see some of the things that you might say is, this is the way it always is, and this is the way it always is in God's word, uh, in, a, in an entirely different way. Um, and then one of the other aspects of hospitality that we believe in very strongly here is what I call ideological hospitality. It's dialogue. It's, it's what Dan said well tonight, is gathering not only around the table, but around God's word and, to, and to, to listen to God's word and to listen to each other interpreting God's word together. So I realize that's kind of a, a mouthful, but in some ways, that is what Emmaus Way has been very committed to as a community, as a community of, of dialogue, a community that practices hospitality and understands that hospitality is not something marginal, but really is deeply formative to who we are as God's people. Sarah, if you would, would you read 1 John uh, 5, I think it's 1 through 6 tonight, and hear these words, they're familiar words, almost a replica of some that we've already read, but let's listen to them from the perspective of, of, of dialogue, of, of listening, of taking the risk of dialogue. Sure. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is truth. So this text has, like many other places in the New Testament, some pretty profound 
illustrations of unity. Uh, one blood, one body, one baptism. We hear that in other portions of the scripture. Uh, this love that marks us. But most of us sense that in our lives there's some pretty profound differences that we have to kind of get over to represent that type of people. Now, what I wanted to do tonight is give us a little bit of a chance to kind of do what we do, which is to dialogue, to circle around the text. And, and I have a question. I want you to hear this question. Uh, it, so taking this idea, and one of the things I think is important about, um, about safe space, I remember when, when Emmaus Way was first started, there was about 10 of us that went to a dialogue on, this one was specifically on sexual orientation. There was about 10 of us that went, and it was hosted by area, you know, local church that was doing this and a couple communities that were doing it. And our group that went was very much like the beginning of Emmaus Way, a fairly diverse group. What they were talking about, I would have agreed very strongly with, but not everybody in our group would have. And so we listened to the presentation, and we walked out, the 10 of us, and, and everybody kind of said, well, what do, you, what do you think about that? And there were like three people in the group that said, you know what? I liked what was being said, but I didn't agree with everything that was being said. And if I had raised my hand, <laughs> I think I would have feared for my own life. And I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting that this was a, a you know, kind of a, a, a community of people following God, but it wasn't a safe space. So one of the tricks that we play every week is try to create a space here that's safe enough for us to bring our different heritages and all of those things. And where I want to go with this next week is I want to talk more about things like marriage and sexuality and community and, and what does it mean to be God's people in a world where you have on 150 and 152, one marquee, and then in Durham you have, you know, gnashing and wailing of teeth. We're, we're very, very different communities. But here's the question I wanted to throw out tonight, is giving all this framing that I've done, and that little 17-minute Emmaus Way one-on-one on hospitality, um, how do you see the, the recent election and the amendment that was passed, how does that relate both positive, and I'm not assuming we're in agreement on this. Please hear that. What are the issues of hospitality that are related to that type of, of, uh, of vote for us? And, and notice I'm not asking, though, I'm welcome for you to say this. I'm not asking for you to say, here's how I feel about this. But as Christian people, how do we look at this event and say, here are the challenges of hospitality related to that? I'm hoping that we're cool enough to be able to do that together. So, uh, it, in some ways want to live out who we are. So have at it. I mean, what are, what are some of the issues of hospitality as we've kind of biblically laid them out? How do they relate to that for you? Well, I guess what I've seen on, on Facebook is the question most people face, do you know somebody on the other side whom you respect? Or can you at least imagine somebody on the other side whom you respect? And for a huge amount of people, it was no. Like, words like Nazi and you know, were thrown around and um, it, it was just amazing to see and, and I saw one thread of people around the country as a high school friend like 30 comments in a row all agree and just all like each, like, like each side was doing painting each other as idiots so very similar to what we talked about last week with things like issues or economics. One of the problems is that we have sometimes even an absence of imagination of cogent challenge 
to how we think. It's kind of like getting a Duke Carolina fan together and talking about were the refs really fair during that game. You should hear Dan's and my conversations on that. You know, Dan like, oh, that's, dude, man, he must have traveled 42 times. I'm like, you know, Austin Rivers can't get out of bed without taking eight or nine. You know, it's like there's, you know, there's no meeting of the minds. You know, and we flip each other off and change the subject. You know, it's kind of what happens. And to some degree, what Daniel's describing is that even in divisive things, there's usually not a lot of dialogue. It's already lumped into kind of heterogeneous groups. Yeah, so that, that's a hospitality issue. If you don't agree with me, you, you've got some serious problems. Yeah. I think going along with that too, even just having some imagination as to why someone who thinks differently than you would think that. Because I know that whenever I'm critical of people, it's easier for me to pick out all the reasons that they're wrong. But if I try and imagine... They might actually have some good points to this. It might just not just be, you know, these five reasons that I think are terrible about their life. And that makes me a lot more compassionate towards them and actually opens up more dialogue between us. Mm-hmm. Dan and I, when we were writing Free For All, one of the things we really realized at the very beginning is in talking about dialogue and difference, we didn't have a lot of great examples of people doing that. Our our culture is, is in many ways so deeply entrenched and I mean we live in a culture that divides itself in terms of social class, in terms of often neighborhoods and uh, transportation patterns. We have that bizarre, I call it the DMV feeling, you know, where you're the Department of Motor Vehicles and you're already in a bad mood and you're very aware that this actually is probably a better slice of what your community's like than who you usually talk to. Yeah. That was just, sorry to talk again, but that was interesting. When people started talking about a boycott or something like that, and I started to think like, where would you visit in North Carolina? Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, Boone, uh, Asheville. These are all the places that you boycott, but they voted for it. <laughs> or, but they voted against it. And so that kind of, that, like, I don't even want to be next to these people, and you don't realize that you're not going to be next to the people even you agree with because you're, you're paying everything the same. Sure, sure. So, yeah, Denise and John. Um, I think there's a real opportunity to um, help children in this because, like, I know at my school there's quite a few children of um, lesbian couples, and so it affects them and just knowing how to care for them in a situation where their normal has now been said, this isn't normal, this is right, and this, especially at the elementary age, I'm sure they have lots of questions about that. Yeah, and it is interesting that sometimes the most important things we don't talk to kids a whole lot about with the assumption that they don't hear what's going on in the house. And I mean, we would get things like repeated back to us when our kids were four or five that were just, you know, I mean, I remember Keenan sitting there, uh, we'd gone to Les Mis, you know, we like, what would he catch, you know? And he's sitting there in the morning singing, I smell women, smell them in the air, you know? <laughs> and, and, and we're like, yeah, we might need to explain that a little more. And Mimi came up with this great thing. She said, this was like, uh, Keenan recalled this this week. He says, you know, she said, some women in that type of poverty needed to sell their kisses to live. And Keenan's like, okay, that makes sense to me. <laughs> and that's not a bad five-year-old description of I smell women, smell them in the air. You know, uh, but, but, but Denise is saying that so many times we create this adultification of certain issues that, that pretends that, that other people aren't present to it. Josh, you were going to say something too. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, we're sort of talking about this ideologically, ideological or rhetorical hospitality, and it seems like one of the ways that that can be accomplished is by not 
for always framing the two groups against each other, right? Who's going to win in this election? Is it going to be the gays or the Christians? Without any consideration that those groups might overlap or might have things in common that they want to work towards. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I went to the sort of national conference for uh, musicology, they, they have all these special interest groups that if you have interest in certain types of scholarship. And so there was a group uh, dealing with issues around LGBTQ identity, and there was a group for Christian scholars, and they always schedule the two meetings at the same time. Because they assume that no one could possibly be interested in both of these. Right? <laughs> so I think that so often the way that we frame the conversations is, is not just sort of inhospitable, but there's no room to even make a move towards hospitality because they are diametrically opposed to one another. Right. One of the things, here's an offshoot of this. This was a big point to Dan and me. Uh, one of the things that came through my my experience as a pastor for a long time in this community. And I you know, was in a more conservative church for years and years, but there was this kind of little liturgy that began a lot of meetings that I had that went like this. Somebody would meet with me, sometimes from another church, and they would say, I know I'm not supposed to think this way, but... And it made it very clear to me. I would have sometimes have four or five not-but kind of meetings where I realized, wow, there's a lot of people who are not talking about the things they care about. And one of the things in looking at the Christian, this is kind of where a mess way came from, is that I was looking at kind of the Christian community that we're in and realizing that not this specific church but the larger landscape is that, uh, and there's a pun to this, but... Um, is that we'd created kind of a don't ask, don't tell gospel. That what tends to happen from up front in church life is the things that everybody agrees on. And so when you, like if we were to like go around the room and say, what do you really agree on? And we will only mention things that we all agree on as a community. Uh, then the sermon every week might be, God loves us. Oh, crap. You know, somebody raised their hand. Daniel back there says, I'm not sure God loves us. I prayed for this last week. Crap. Okay. Um, we love God, you know, and Josh, I'm pissed off at God. I mean, you know, you, I mean, you start, the list gets not only small, it might be non-existent. And so one of the things that, that has happened for, for Christendom writ large is the idea that um, the gospel has been so trivialized to things that we agree on. One of the things we committed ourselves to do as a community is to not use consensus as a way to act in mission because you would never be politically engaged. And somehow we believe we need to be politically engaged, but if we're waiting for a consensus, that means it never happens, so to speak. But that's one of my concerns about the interpretation of the gospel, is that there's this fear that we cannot speak to each other. And, and in some ways, what John is pushing me is, this is the very place where we might try to speak to each other. So other people, reactions, issues of hospitality. Uh, Sir Kate, sure. Now, Sarah Kate is a much better person than me. So, <laughs> what were you thinking, though, when you did your wave? <laughs> Mine would not have been so good. But. Yeah. 
against yeah. the taxing neighbors who just asked, don't bring on this but, but there was a real, Luke was like, no, we're not going to sign. And I was like, I have to sign. <laughs> And this is, you're raising an issue there, Sarah Kate, that I think is really important. Is a lot of times people of faith come to the idea that following God means obsessive niceness to the point where you never say anything. So following God means having no voice whatsoever on issues that... If I know you, you've prayed about this a whole lot. You cared about all this and talked to a lot of people like this. So it's a matter of faith and discipleship for you to maybe put your sign up and not realizing that everybody's signs might be different in the community. But in some ways, we've maybe misinterpreted the gospel that says we're always nice about things. We never speak. Did I cut you off, Sir Kate? Did you have another point? No. Great, good one. Yeah. I was just going to say really quick, I love that story because it seems like there are two potential logics that work. Right? You see your neighbor put up the sign you disagree with. You could, one option is, put up a sign to sort of show your uh, opposition to the issue and to open a dialogue. The other one would be to tear that sign out. Right? <laughs> I think so often, literally and figuratively, that's the way that these conversations go. Is I don't, I'm not interested in articulating my position as much as I am in silencing my opposition. Right, right. right. So, uh, some of us are junkies of the wire, and we're watching the political process where they're going around ripping up each other's signs, and the, the mayor, you know, uh, signs street fixing right in front of his opponent's headquarters. And I mean, that's kind of our the norm in our culture is to silence. That was somebody behind me. Yeah, I know you, you guys kind of should get like a special gaze. <laughs> And it might even get back to what Henry Nowen is saying about the Christian community has been historically poor at practicing both of those things, receptivity and practicing honesty to the point that there is a tremendous amount of baggage, even an assumption of, of something that might be ugly as a result of faith. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Jesse. Jesse and Jesse. Um so I was going to say, I mean, the word that keeps coming to my mind is, is humility. And, and I think this, this is even bigger than this issue. But 
I mean, one of the things that I think about, right, is that if whatever position you have, right, you have it because you think it's right, right? If, if you believe the other thing, then you would think that was right. And so it's easy when someone says something that's the opposite of what you believe to kind of start from a base assumption that that person is an idiot, right? Because you, are, you already know what you believe, and so clearly you think the other thing's wrong. And I think, getting back to like what Daniel started with, is, is I think it's, it's good for all of us in, in kind of across the board to just start from a position that, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's someone who is articulate and intelligent and has thought through these things and has come down with the opposite conclusion that I have. And that, that person might exist. And so that should be our starting point instead of our starting point being, oh, if you disagree with me, then you're a moron. And, because, and, and instead kind of... Unless it's about basketball and then I'm holding to the moron thing. Sorry, Jordan. Now you're in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the idea, right? But I, I think it's, it's, it's good practice for us, right? Because I think, I think a lot of people here at Emmaus, we are good at it. It's one of the reasons why I like this church. I think a lot of people do that kind of by default pretty well. But I think all of us could use more practice at that, right? That it's, it's easy to kind of look at an issue like that and just see, like, like kind of what Daniel said, like, I don't even understand how someone could even be on the other side and call themselves a Christian and, and, and be intelligent. Like, clearly, if they're on the other side, this person is a moron, they hate Jesus, and they're, if, they're, if, they're, if they're going to church, they're a complete charlatan. And it's like, why don't we start from a place a little bit more generous than that and, and kind of let that be the beginning of the conversation? Because you know what? I might be wrong, right? And that, that's, that's what it ultimately comes down to. You know, it's so funny, and I feel like in my vocation, my training has been to assert that I'm right. And I feel like and I feel like like the secret of an MDiv is like you know let's say I don't know Dave Eford says something that's a little complicated and I don't know what to do with it you know there's always these defaults like well Dave if you knew this in the Greek you'd probably agree with me you know <laughs> I mean to some degree it's education and how to bully people with my education is more important because you just do law you know nothing really important to any of us you know and and I think I think Jesse what you're talking about here is exactly right is that that uh, humility would probably fit that list I think probably there's somebody down the road who is framing spiritual formation using humility like I used hospitality tonight and those are, are really worthy things. In fact, I have a little assignment for you guys this week. I mean, Jesse, I'm coming back. You had forgot, forgot you. Um, and that might be our last one tonight. But here's, a, here's an interesting assignment to look at. I don't recommend this as like a great movie. But there's a documentary that I think you can yank down off of Netflix called Brother Born Again. Does anybody know this, this little documentary? It's like 90 minutes. Okay, here's the quick story of this. It's, the, it's a woman who is 32 years old. She is um, bisexual in a lesbian partnership, lives in Manhattan, um, and her brother, who she didn't know very well, went through a profound spiritual crisis, a life or death spiritual crisis, and became uh, a Christian in an intentional community. And he lives in this community called The Farm in Alaska. Now, the first, you hear that and you kind of go, okay, we know it's a freaky cult and they're killing babies in there somewhere, right? But the interesting thing is, as you'll watch this, you'll notice the farm isn't a cult at all. People are free to come and go as they please, and people do leave. Um, but it raises a really challenging issue. Is that and, and, and this guy's faith has changed his life. It's saved his life. He was, he was going to die without the conversion that he experienced. He was a brilliant, I think he was at... I think he may have been at Stanford or uh, some brainy school in California. Um, uh, but but um, he, um, 
the, the sister decides, they haven't seen each other in 10 years, so she decides to fly to Alaska and spend a month in the community with a friend, and they make a documentary about the visit to this. And one of the things that, that gets to a really painful crux of the matter, it's, it's awkward as a person of faith, is that she says, I'm ecstatic about your community and your life. I didn't know how much this has changed you. And these people are lovely. She has a really powerful experience. And he's a very humble person, by the way, not a negative person at all. But she turns it to him and says, the challenge is you can't, by principle, accept my life or pray for me or receive me. And he, I was watching this in my spirituality class at State, and, and his reaction is, I still love you, but I can't. And so if you want to watch something that kind of gets you in an awkward space of how does principle interact with, with receptivity, when, as Jesse has made the point, is that um, it's often difficult to decide which principle is the one that's the best one to operate on. And we all probably have our, this is the thing that we go by. So if you're interested in kind of checking out a little uh, documentary on that, it's, it's not brilliant filming, but it's an interesting story called Brother Born Again. And I think you can get that on Netflix. Jesse, you're going to be our, I think, our final word tonight. You are. I just think it's really important to remember that sometimes our hospitalities are going to clash with each other. Like... I had this conversation on Facebook a, a couple of days ago from an old friend who grew up. Um, we, we went to this little fundamentalist school together way back when. And he was trying to make the argument that, that I, I heard all the time growing up about how people were intolerant toward intolerant people. You can, the, one per, the one person these tolerant people can't tolerate is the intolerant person. Right, and how hypocritical that was. You know, that the liberals aren't willing to, to sort of play on the same playing field with people they perceive to be intolerant. And uh, it, it just really, really bothered me because it suggests that you, you experience inhospitality when people disagree with you. So, so this is how, like if you, if you voted for Amendment 1 and you're getting all these people saying nasty things about you from other places, etc., that you're somehow experiencing inhospitality in the same way that a person who now is afraid of whether they're going to be able to have custody of this child that's in their home or whether they're going to be able to visit their their spouse in the hospital when they're dying or, or whether they're going to be able to share health insurance. It's like these are like real – this is real suffering, not like, oh, you know, they just they, – pe people are saying mean things about me because they don't like what I voted for. It's like there's a, there's a certain place where two hospitalities clash with each other, and I just feel like, well, who is, who is getting screwed and who is suffering and who is – who is suffering a lack of love versus someone feeling like, oh, I just believe something that's not popular? Like that, we all have to do that, but that's, it's just not the same thing. And, and so. Well, the, in the New Testament, I'll, I'll kind of make this a very short bracketing on this. That's a good comment, Jesse. The New Testament, I think, has a concept that I would call missional hospitality, where when a couple of practices are in conflict with each other. And we read about it. It's hard for us to read about it because Paul seemed to say to women, not be meek, 
But silence. <laughs> I mean, absolute silence. We, have, we are going to hell tonight because we have trampled on that, that concept. And, and, and some of it was related to the missional context that, that provoked that. And so what you're raising to us is what is the context? What is the status of God's redemptive work in this place? That's one of the reasons that we talk to each other every week. Because without knowing that context, it, it's very challenging to understand what are the hospitality that one should embrace or the honesties that one should embrace. And so next week, what I'd like to do, what we did tonight, <laughs> and I think it's worth doing every now and then. I've been accused of having this, and, I, and I, I'll accept this as, a, as an appropriate negative verdict, is we kind of had a conversation about the conversation tonight <laughs> without having the conversation, so to speak. And, and I think that's important to do. It's, uh, but next week, I want to talk more about the idea of, of marriage in the Bible, community in the Bible, sexuality in the Bible. Give us more of a language. We did this when we did Free For All. We wrote a section on Romans 1, and we had a podcast and said, anybody on Mayus Way want to be there? And we'd been doing several of these. We had six or seven, but we did one on Romans 1. We had 30 people in this community that showed up on a Thursday night to drink beer and to eat lots of M&Ms and talk about particularly LGBTQ issues. And what was interesting and what almost everybody in the room said is, I don't think I can even enter the conversation because I don't have enough information to, to even have the conversation. And one of the things I'm interested in, I know I'm taking a little bit of risk with this, but several people in this community have grabbed me this week and said, you know, in some ways my Bible reading and my politics don't always match up with each other. And so given that, I'm going to reject what would have been the opposite in my community, I'm going to reject my Bible reading <laughs> rather than my politics because I have a strong sense that my politics are, are right on this. And one of the things I think is a commitment for us as a community is to do all of those things well. To, to, to know that reading of text is never separate from lives. When we talk about husbands or wives or marriage or economies. It's never an abstract issue, as Jesse points out. It always involves people's lives. So next week, I want to jump into further on that. And I'm not trying to be like a lame person, like hitting it on Memorial Day weekend. You know, like, hey, maybe there'll only be like three people there. <laughs> we'll all agree. And we'll tell you guys what y'all folks should be doing. Uh, but, but to some degree, it's kind of the way it's stacked out. So next week, I kind of invite you to, to wrestle with the issues of, of marriage, sexuality, and community. If you'd like to uh, watch Brother Born Again and uh, check that out, and, and, and I'll be curious to hear what you're doing. Dan, as you come up to uh, take us to the table, here's the invitation, and it's a really simple one. Uh, Wade's going to play just as I am uh, here as I'm sitting down, um, but is, here's one of the biggest invitations of this evening, is that we as a community, now that we've grown up a little bit, will never quit taking the risks of hospitality. Understanding that hospitality is always a risk, it's always a challenge, that we will continue to take the risk of creating a safer space for, for dialogue. We'll embrace our differences and also we'll be convicted by the differences that are not present in our community. So I'll leave it at that, Nan, you I don't know how you felt in having, uh, hearing Sarah read this text tonight, but I was sitting there thinking as, as it was being read, I was like, I don't have any idea 
what that means. That is like gibberish. I mean, it's almost like Bob Dylan singing. You're like, what in the world is going on right now? I think the, the, the re one of the reasons why this is so hard is that we are a people who prefer clear documents. I mean, this is not the type of text that works in our culture. The type of text that works in our culture are contracts, right? Dave, lawyers, we've got to have clarity. We've got to know what's going on. We need to know what the stipulations are for each person, how you know, repercussions are going to be played out, what consequences there will be, and those need to be spelled out with clarity so that we know what's going on. The fact of the matter is we need that because I think we live in a culture where we really don't trust one another. We really live in a culture that's saturated with fear. That there's this notion that we have to know, we have to have it all worked out, we have to have a complete agreement on something because I'm even scared to sign my signature before you sign your signature in the sense that you might be manipulating me. The passage that comes right before this in 1 John, uh, 1 John 4.18, says that perfect love casts out all fear. I think as we come to the table tonight, we are reminded that we are not a people dominated by that fear. While that might seem to, to come in and to crowd out a lot of our lives, that we are a people who are not dominated by fear in that way. Coming to the table tonight, you're invited to a place where our relationship with God is not one that's dominated by fear, but is known in the gospel that God has reached out in grace, has reached out in love to accept you and me and to pull us into God's work of recreation. And that in doing that, as we celebrate the table with one another, we're sharing the love of God with one another. We're being participants in that love. It's interesting to me that Christ leaving us this discipline doesn't say, how you remember me is that you all agree on everything all the time. But it is that you eat with one another, even when you don't like one another. Even when it seems like you can't get along, you break bread together and you share it with one another. And that this will be the mark of a people who truly love one another. So that our sense of love is not dominated by sappy romance novels or romance movies but it actually is the type of love that knows how to engage when we're mad with one another, when we're angry with one another, when we're disappointed with one another, and when we're hurt. That the love can be Eucharistic in that way. Tonight, we're going to gather at the table celebrating that love of God in our lives, sharing wine or juice with one another, pouring it out for one another, saying the body of Christ, I mean the blood of Christ shed for you, breaking bread for one another, handing it to one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you. We're throwing you a little bit of a curveball tonight because we're going to do Eucharist right now, and then I will call you back, invite you back. We're going to end uh, our co uh, conversation tonight a little bit differently with music and with singing. Um, so if you'll come up quickly and kind of work through Eucharist and we'll come back and end with singing, I'll invite you now. Come now to the table. Live the love of God in your life. Taste it. Celebrate it. And be participants in it. Amen.
Hey guys, if you grab your lyrics, I want to do a few songs to uh, finish up here tonight as uh, songs of response. I think you'll enjoy singing these. with me on this song born Born to love, 
way um, nearly seven years ago I was uh, in a really rough marriage and um, my wife and I weren't getting along she had moved out and um, it's a tough time to start working with a church and uh, then as we went through a divorce one of the things that was really amazing was how many different opinions people had about my life and um, it was incredible the amount of, of different re responses and, and um, there's nothing like going through that to give you a sense of how people will come at you with their beliefs and what they don't realize is that it's like your guts are absolutely ripped completely out. I mean, I, I've never been through anything like it. I mean, the pain of it, of divorce is just, just unimaginable, un un you know, it's undescribable. And yet you have these people coming up to you and going, well, you know, what you really need to be doing or what God really thinks about this or what, you know, you need to be thinking about. And I think what was lost sometimes in those conversations is just a sense of like, man, I haven't been where you are. This seems like it's incredibly hard. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be people who think about things and care about what we believe, but it's, it's amazing when we've been through something how all of a sudden we have a very different set of eyes and a very different compassion for people and I think that's why we're focusing on these conversations about love and I appreciate you guys having them and this is another song that talks about how love isn't always easy um, but that God is love that stays with us that is constantly um, drawing us and, and, and caring for us how we can do that for each other There's a river of love that runs through all time There's a river of grief that floods through our lives Starts when a heart is broken into By the thief of belief in anything that's true There's a river of love that runs through all time there's a river of love that runs through all time 
There's a river of tears that flows through our eyes We fight through the night for freedom as it fades to a chair Where we fill every time we make a break The river of love that runs through all time I had to run before I knew how to crawl First up was hard, I've had trouble with them all And now the night grows darker and the day grows down Cause I know I never will see you again I almost made you happy There's a river of love that runs through all time there's a river of fire that burns within your life The flame is the pain of dreams gone up in smoke from the lies we deny Breathe until we choke There's a river of love that runs through all time
just for a great cameo in The Wire, I might add, but still love Steve Earle. But that song is an incredible apocalyptic that invites us to love and to imagine and the outcome of God's redemption. So I ask you tonight to go in God's peace with a sense of deep imagination for the work of God's redemptive love in this place and in this space. Amen. Amen. 